for retirement. We all um, make sure that we are putting money into 401ks or some kind of retirement fund, and at minimum, we will end up with Social Security. Um, and the question is always, when should you start saving uh, for retirement? And the answer to that is, as soon as possible. The question I have for you this morning is, are you saving things for after retirement? You know, there's a time like after retirement um, that we are going to find ourselves. And Jesus often spoke about money. One of the things that he said in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19, was do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal will store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also for where your treasure is your heart will be also. Where does your investments lie? What are you actually going to receive for the work that you have done? I was really reading an illustration about money and, and what we do with money, and they were using the, tr the term transmute transmutation which is changing one thing into something else. For example, if I uh, need to go to the pharmacist, I have to transmute funds into medicine. I have to exchange that money that I have into medicine because medicine is something that is going to help my body. Um, the actual money can do nothing for my body. So because money itself cannot help my body, uh, you must transmute it and turn it into something else to help you. Money can also be transmuted for other things. It can be used now for our benefit in eternity. So when we get to heaven, um, you would have already stored up things. And that's what Jesus was talking about. Uh, don't store up here, but store up in heaven. Spend money here on earth in a way that will matter in eternity. So what I'm going to speak about for a minute is what, what riches actually last? I was reading a story that Spurgeon told. And, uh, and I shared it with my wife. I usually don't share anything of the sermon with my wife, but when I read it, I was like, wow. And she was like, wow what? So I had to give her a little snippet. And it said, this is what Spurgeon said, if a man should labor to be rich after the African fashion, he should accumulate large stores of shells and beads, 
But when he came home to England, he would be a beggar. Even though he had a shipload of such rubbish, so who will give his heart and soul to accumulation of gold and silver coins is a beggar when it comes into the spiritual realm. So in, in one economy, these shells and these beads had value. You would be able to take it and transfer it for other things. I could get a house with it um, if I had enough of them. I could uh, get food with it and other necessities and things that would have me living a certain lifestyle. In the same way, in a different economy, I could have gold and silver, and it could provide other things, just like that money would provide the medicine at the pharmacy. Gold and silver in one economy would do that Shells would do that in beads in a, another economy. I have here a wagon, one of those little red racer wagons. We had bigger ones that we would play with when we were kids, but I have shells here. And anytime we've taken trips and traveled, we would get these different shells and they're from all over the world. We've been a lot of places, and, and that's like a really um, great thing. And I also have a box here that I keep in um, one of those uh, safes that um, you have that's fire retardant, and it has all these different coins in the safe. And a lot of these coins actually... I got from my mother-in-law. She would always give me like silver dollars and 50 cent pieces. And there's a lot of uh, different ones here. And they have a, a certain value here in this economy. But going back to this story, he says, So who gives his heart and soul to the accumulation of gold and silver coin is a beggar when it comes into the spiritual realm, where such round metals are reckoned as mere forms of earth, non-current in heaven, and of less value than the least of spiritual blessings. So as I started speaking about beads and shells, you might, it might have popped into your head like, how could that be of any value anywhere? It's earth. The same way silver and gold is earth. It's things you find in the earth. It's what we place value on because actually what can gold and silver do for you? But because someone else wants it, we can trade it for something. In the same way a bead or a shell, if someone wants it, we could trade it for something. But in God's economy, in heaven, what are you going to do with it? Imagine me bringing this wagon with me. Hey, put this in my casket. Um, what can I get for this beautiful shell or for one of these coins? nothing. But we spend a lifetime 
accumulating so many of these things. It, it reminds me of uh, arcades. Some of you guys don't know what arcades are. Some of, most of you do. And remember, at, at certain arcades, you would um, get coins that came out of it. That was specific to that place. And, and it allowed you to play games there. Well, I lived here for quite some time, and it was a golf course, and they had like go-karts there, and um, they had uh, Mountain Manor. They had arcade there, and, and I was just thinking, what if I would have just kept saving the coins that they had there? Because, you know, you get these coins, and you think you have a lot, and then when you go trade it in for a prize, it's like a rinky-dink prize. Like, you would have needed so many more coins for you to get something that you would have thought you wanted. And if I would have just accumulated those things and then one day came there and said, I have the right amount to cash it in, and you go, and it's gone. What, what am I going to do with all those coins? What are you going to do with all of these things that, that you saved up and, and that you um, worked so hard for and that you've accumulated? Is it going to be of any value? Let's um, turn to our scripture again. We're in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm reading out of the CSB this morning. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Six, and we're going to start in verse 6. And it reads this way, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, Flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God, who gives life to all, and of Jesus Christ, who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. 
To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hopes on the uncertainties of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you how complete your word is in feeding us and nourishing us, Lord, for us to learn and grow how to operate in this world, who we are, and most importantly, who you are, God. We thank you that we serve a good father. We thank you, Lord, that when we come into your house, we come with an expectation to grow, to learn, to know more about you, and to praise your holy name. We ask that you would help our ears and our eyes to be attentive, our hearts, Lord, to receive your truth, Lord, that we will walk out of here different than we walked in, Lord. We petition you for all these things, thanking you before it even happens, Lord, knowing that you always meet our needs, that your word never returns to you void, but it produces what you send it to do. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. How do you um, view money? That's, that's, a, that's a big question, because it did not say that money is evil. It says the love of money is evil, and the way we view money matters. Money for many is a symbol of worth, even self-worth. But for many, money is more than just means. I was reading this article about it, and it said it is itself meaning. So where money should just be how we get something, it becomes the meaning itself. It is not so much a tool as a title one takes on. It is not an instrument, but an identity. If you fall for the trap of allowing money to become an identity that measures your worth, you'll pay a steep price because you can never have enough. How much money does it take to prove you are worth being liked or loved and valued by other people. When money becomes a symbol of worth rather than simply a storehouse of wealth, it has switched places rather than being your servant. It is now your master. And I read that in a secular article, and I was like, wow, that's pretty spiritual. So I don't know who the guy who, who wrote it was, but he was on point with certain things. When we talk about wealth, it is the sum of our total assets, things that you own that give you financial security. If you have acquired a level of wealth, 
Because wealth is one of those things, once you have, you don't have to focus all your energy on getting money for you to have your basic needs met. Once you are in that position, what are you doing with your time? That's a very important question. What are you doing at that point with your time? Every single thing you buy, every single thing you buy, you pay for it with a piece of your life. You know the expression that people say, that cost me an arm and a leg. That's pretty literal. It can cost you so much because what things you accumulate and have, you've paid for it, and you've paid for it by selling your time that you have a limited amount of. It can cost you peace of mind. It can cost you relationships. It can cost you your youth. It could cost you your health. All of these things we sometimes subject ourselves to for stuff. Because for the most part, Americans have their basic needs met. Now, the Bible is clear. You don't work, you don't eat, right? We need to work. No one's saying that. But when everything is about that almighty dollar and continually chasing after these things, we are actually taking our life that we have a limited amount of time and we're getting all of this stuff and it never actually satisfies. Let's look at the text. Verse 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So when we're speaking about contentment, we're speaking about being satisfied. We have a certain level of satisfaction, a certain um, ease of mind. And often we think it's going to be found in other stuff. If I only had fill in the blank says, for you were brought, you brought nothing into the world, and you can take nothing out. Hmm. I read a quote that said, money is something that buys everything but happiness and takes a man everywhere but heaven. You, you, can, you can acquire a lot of things by having money, but there are certain things that you just cannot have. It says, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Often we say, no, I'm not content with that. And even when we say, I'm not content with that, or if we say, no, I am content, our actions don't always go along with that. Everyone has to live their life according to what they think um, their values are and what they want to achieve. I have worked hard all my life. 
one of the things I could tell you is, once I had a certain amount of financial security, I just started to work less and less and less, meaning in what I did for a living, and I just started to do more and more things for God. It, it was just, and while I was at work, your life, even there, should be for God. Those interactions that you have with people aren't happenstance. You are salt and light. You are believers. So even in those places, God is using you. But to be there, that I need a little bit more. I need to get one more thing. I'm going to stop at this stage. It rarely happens. Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller was asked a question. How much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. At the peak of his wealth, Rockefeller had a net worth of about 1% of the entire U.S. economy. What? Of the whole U.S. economy, he owned 90% of all the oil and gas industry of his time. He would make people like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett look poor. And when asked, how much is enough? I ain't there yet. Wow. Verse 9 says, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. One of the things that I like to, to do the most, as you guys know, is sing. Can't sing well, but I'm always singing. I love music since I was a little kid. And I didn't only listen to church music. So I remember two songs very specifically that spoke about money. And when I looked at the years of those songs and the age that I was that I've learned those songs, I was like, wow, I was pretty young. One of the songs was For the Love of Money by the OJs in 1973. So in 1973, I was six. And this is some of the lyrics to the song. I'm going to read them. <laughs> Thank you. That's why I love you, Mama Nelly. For the love of money, people will rob their own brother. For the love of money, people will steal from their mother. For the love of money, people can't even walk the street because they know in the world they're going to be. For the love, for that lean, mean, mean, green, almighty dollar. For the love of money, people will lie. Lord, they will cheat. 
For the love of money, people don't care who they hurt or beat. For the love of money, a woman will sell her precious body for a small piece of paper. It carries a lot of weight. Call it lean, mean, mean, green. Like, wow. Anybody remember that song besides me? Okay. <laughs> so there was another song called Money by Pink Floyd. Very famous song. This song is from 1971. And the lyrics say, money, get away. You get a good job with more pay and you're okay. Money, it's a gas. Grab that cash with both hands and make a stash. New car, caviar, four star, daydream. Think I'll buy me a football team. Money, get back. I'm all ready. I'm all right, Jack. Keep your hands off of my stack. Money, it's a hit. Don't give me that do-goody-good bull. I'm in the high-fidelity first-class travel set. I think I need a Learjet. Money, it's a crime. Share it fairly, but don't take a slice of my pie. Money, so they say, is the root of all evil today. But if you ask for a rise, it's no surprise that you're giving none away. So as I thought about those songs and uh, what they say in Many ways, many of us have fallen into those traps. If not now, at certain points in our life, in certain ways, maybe you um, didn't want a Learjet because that wasn't going to happen, but maybe um, you wanted a Caddy instead of a Chevy, and you spent pieces of your life to obtain those things. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. There's nothing wrong with having money. It is nothing wrong with working hard. But at the end of the day, we got to discuss what is your life being spent doing? And this is such a big barometer of that. Verse 10 says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. One of the things that we know that Jesus said is, you cannot serve two masters. Often, what we think as believers is, I will Go after all of these things that the world has to offer, and I'll serve God too. And Jesus made it real clear. That's not going to happen. Because you're going to go to one side or the other. 
In Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 14, speaking to the church of Laodicea, he says this. Write to the angel of the church of in Laodicea. Thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you, to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed and your, your shameful nakedness not be exposed, an ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. One of the things that we have to understand is money often costs too much. We see an example here where the church wasn't against God, but they weren't hot for God either. They, they were lukewarm, and that was unacceptable. And the reason why they were lukewarm is because they took security in being rich, in being wealthy, and obtaining these other things and focusing and concentrating on that. But verse 11 tells us, but you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life in which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses and in the presence of God. Who gives life to all? And of Christ Jesus, who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. We always say God's timing is perfect. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. And then this is Paul speaking to Timothy 
about things that were going on. He started with speaking to him about slaves and masters. Then he started to speak to him about um, preachers and people that were fake and all about ministry for money. And then he just starts laying out these other things about money in general for the church and what should be thought of when we think about how we deal with our finances. And now he's telling him, and this is how you instruct the rich. Instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant. One of the things that we know is that a certain level of wealth, and, and not only a certain level, any uh, amount of possessions could start to have a person feel um, arrogant. Uh, allow those things to be what places in their minds where they have value. And on the opposite spectrum, those that don't have to feel like they're not of value. But that's not where our value comes from. It says, don't be arrogant or set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Things that God has given us, he's given us to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share. I know people, and I know many in this church, that are so giving, they look for opportunities to give. And then I know people that don't look to give of themselves, of their resources, and all of those things belong to God. I read a quote that says, when you serve God, you are using God's money to accomplish his wishes. But when you serve money, you are using God's money to accomplish your wishes. It's all God's money. What you're doing with it matters. So when you're taking his money and you're using it to accomplish his will, that's serving God. When you're taking his money and you're accomplishing your will, serving you. And it belongs to him. Verse 19 says, store up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of what is truly life. Like what life is really about is us glorifying God and walking in his ways and in his will. That is so important for us to understand, but our flesh is always about me, mine, gratification, and all of these things that never end up satisfying. So again, going back to this illustration and looking at pieces of earth, whether it's a rock or a shell, or a whole bunch of coins that you have 
continued to gather and to store up. What are you going to buy with that in heaven? What is that going to do for you? Ultimately, what does it do for you here? And to obtain those things, we are selling pieces of our lives. Wow. Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 34, Jesus says, calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what? does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? What is worth your life? For whatever, for whomever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. The Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Wow. Back to verse 19. You can come up, worship team. Storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of what is truly life. We're all living life. Are you living what truly life is about? What Jesus said life is about. Jesus said, I came to give life and to give it abundance. Are you walking in that? Are the things that you are storing up earth that's going to have no value in heaven? You will not be able to buy one iota in the least of spiritual gifts, of spiritual blessings is greater than the accumulation of all of those things. Wow. In the end, we need to always hear these things, search out what am I doing? How am I spending my days? What are my motivations? What are my deep desires? And be real about those things. One of the most beautiful things is how God is long-suffering and patient and bringing us through these different things in our own personal lives. And I don't say this for people to quit their job, stop going to school, join a monastery. No, Different stages in life call for us to do different things. 
but our focus always has to be on God. Our focus always has to be on eternity. There are times in our life where it's like, I have to grind this out right now. I'm in school. I, I have these uh, bills. I have these loans, and I'm trying to get my education. I have five kids. I don't have five kids. Someone could be saying. And at this stage, this is what I need to focus on and do. That does not mean you shouldn't have a kingdom focus, a kingdom purpose, that your heart's desire and what you are doing, where your attention is going, is not the Lord. It looks different at different stages of life. But one of the things that we have to be clear with ourselves is, what is my motivation? What is my life about? What am I doing with my time? Am I really serving the Lord? Do I really believe that in heaven, what I've done here matters? Do I really believe there is a heaven? Am I really investing in that the same way you're investing in your 401k, knowing, oh, I'm going to get old because I'm looking at all these people around me and they're getting older. And I got to make sure that I have security in the future. I need some place to live. I, I want to be able to eat. I would like to even be able to do a couple of things. In the same way we have that mindset, this should be a yearning and a deeper desire in our heart. Lord, my life is yours. And what I do matters. And where I'm storing up treasures matter. Because none of us is promised tomorrow. Right? We know the story of the guy who said, hey, Things have been great. I'm going to build bigger bonds. I'm going to tear this stuff down. And I'm going to eat and drink and relax and enjoy what I did. He was told, you fool, tonight your life will be required of you. We're not promised tomorrow. We need to live and today, we need to recognize what we do has eternal consequence and value and that God has saved us to walk in good works, to be about his business, to store up our treasures in heaven. That shows itself in many different ways and how we treat one another, and how we steward our time, and how we steward our resources, and what our life is really about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, we thank you, Lord, for your long-suffering. We thank you for your word, that speaks to our heart, Lord. We thank you for the message last week about power and what real power looked like. We thank you, Lord, 
for today and even reflecting on the many blessings that we have and how you've called us to be good stewards. We're stewards because it all belongs to you. Everything in heaven and earth belongs to you, including us, Lord. Those of us that are believers were purchased the price, Lord. We don't belong to ourselves, we're yours. Your workmanship, Lord, that are called to steward the things that you've placed in our hands and the time that you have given us and to be a blessing to the people around us, to speak the words of life, to be your hands and feet, Lord. Help us in those areas, Lord. Let us not be lukewarm where you would want to spew us out of your mouth, oh God. Let us be on fire for the things of God. We pray for the one Lord that heard a word of truth this day and you did something inside, Lord, where they recognize their need for you, where they recognize that they have been spending their time that's limited, their resources on things of self. And they recognize all the time and energy and resources they put to those things. Never satisfied. One dead end after another. We ask that you would open their eyes this day, Lord. That you would snatch them out of the kingdom of darkness. That you would bring them into the kingdom of your son that you love, O oh God they would turn from their sins, that they would look to the cross where you've shed your precious blood that can cover over their sins. They could be justified in your eyes, Lord. That you could transfer righteousness to them, Lord. They could start being about your business as well. We lay all these things before you. We thank you, Lord, as we ponder these things where we can understand it is a barometer of our spiritual condition. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let us take stock in where our treasure is this day, Lord. Let's live for you as you help us by your grace and mercy, by the leading of your spirit, and the power of your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, church.